everybody. I'm really excited today to have the amazing Lisa Savage here from the Center for Child Development talking about her path to private practice and sharing her amazing, unique niche with you. I think it's going to inspire um, many of you and open up your mindset for just how many wonderful opportunities we have for success in private practice and helping people. Welcome, yeah. Lisa. Thank you, Miranda. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. It looks like it's sunny there. Uh, always, always. <laughs> no, there was rain. Rainy? There was rain this one time, um, like a few oh. weeks ago. But oh. it's gorgeous okay. and sunny and warm. Nice. And, um, all that good stuff. Um, nice. If you guys want to um, stalk Lisa as you're listening um, to her story, um, you can go to the Center for Child and check her out there. So I always love to start, Lisa, um, with this question, which is, why, oh, why did you decide to become a therapist initially? (laughs) What inspired you? Good question, and always one that I um, have to think about, and sometimes it changes because I think as as I get older, my reason sort of changes for why I became a therapist, or I become clearer. I think that's a more accurate answer about um, why I became a therapist. So... um, my mom was a teacher growing up. There were always tons of kids. We were that house where kids just kind of hovered. So um, I knew that I wanted to be in the helping profession. I, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician, but um, yeah, really sucked at science and math. <laughs> so um, as I studied, I became more interested in social services, sociology, psychology majored in went to grad school through social work and here I am and loving it and can't see myself doing anything It sounds like you're really inspired by by your mom and just being around people and just knowing like I'm here to help or maybe I'm not sure exactly how but like I know I'm meant to be a helper. Yep absolutely and that was pretty clear early on I mean I was always a person that uh, people came to for advice um you know, um, and so it just seemed like it, it made sense to me. And then I had a lot of people encourage me in that path, professors and, and um, other colleagues. So it just seemed like the right path. And like I said, I have absolutely no regrets about the path that I chose. And which it's is a really good profession, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's a absolutely. Profession. Um, so tell um, everybody about what your, what your practice and what your business looks like today. Mm-hmm. So I started out in private practice several years ago as a solo practitioner. And um, I, well, before that, I had managed wellness centers in high schools in Delaware, where I currently practice. Um, and then about 2007, I was approached by one of the districts who knew the work that I was doing with school-based mental health and asked me to replicate school-based mental health services on the middle school level. So I took the plunge and went into private practice full-time, even though I had been solo part-time. Um, but I took the plunge, went in full-time because I got um, assigned these four schools and very, very rapidly um, it grew. So I um, hired my first associate in 2010. No, she started it. Yes, 2010 she started because her kid is eight years old now. Um, and so over the span of eight years, I've grown from just being me and Rebecca to now 32 um, therapists currently, which is massive. Um, yeah. Had no, no notion that I would grow this quickly. 
However, what I was able to establish early on was the need for mental health services for kids, and particularly to be able to meet kids where they are, which is schools and community centers. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the, um, what are some of your favorite parts about working with kids within the school system? You have easy accessibility to children. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I quickly learned is that um, kids have less stigma around mental health issues than adults do. So one of the things that was really surprising, but also um, very pleasant was the desire to get help. Mm-hmm. So especially on the middle and the high school level, those kids often self-referred. Um, we still have to get their parental consent, but they would be the first ones to initiate getting mental health services. And so to me, it just really reinforced the importance of us being there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I absolutely adore working with middle schoolers and high schoolers. I did do some elementary school at one point, but found that that was exhausting work, physically exhausting work, <laughs> because oftentimes you're chasing little ones, um, you know, who have a lot of regulation um, mm-hmm. issues. Um, so um, but it's, it's such a joy to be able to see a kid who may be experiencing depression and self-harm and, and, and watch that kid get better um, through the course of the school year. So I'm thrilled that we are very present and available to children, families, and schools mm-hmm. um, because I feel like a lot of the kids that we service would not get the services that they need. Mm-hmm. So we need and- a need. Um, in our community. Yeah. 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 Yep. And what do you think, um, you know, you described something really powerful, which is that you had a relationship already and you were actually approached, right. To yep. develop this program and to, mm-hmm. to develop this contract and somebody mm-hmm. saying we want in, right. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, the program that you have now has it remained within that same school system or have you expanded into other school systems and approached other or has it usually been that they've just heard about the program approached you and it's grown that way or have you had to actually go out and kind mm-hmm. of like pitch and propose to school yeah. that's an excellent question because it's a little bit of both um mm-hmm. we are now in 80 schools throughout delaware which is pretty significant um uh, delaware small that's huge yeah, it, is. it really is big and i'm very very proud of it because we've worked hard to get there um Delaware is an interesting state because one, it's very tiny. Um, so upstate is, is more, um, I wouldn't call it, it's more suburban. There's a city, Wilmington, which is really like a small town. Mm-hmm. And then what we call downstate is a very rural part of the state. So downstate, no services for kids um, or very few services for kids. Upstate, a little bit more. So um, some schools heard about our services and said, hey, we need you, particularly the downstate schools, because they didn't have any services for kids. Mm-hmm. Upstate, we did a fair amount of promoting and marketing to other schools. Once we kind of had our infrastructure in place and we were really clear that we were getting results with kids. So we used that data to go to other schools, which include private schools, um, charter schools. Um, and now the Catholic Diocese has approached us and said, we really are struggling with our kids. Um, and because they're dependent on largely parents paying tuition, a lot of times they don't have the funding for school counselors. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. So they approached us, um, and hopefully in January, we, we will be in four Catholic schools. Wow. Which is amazing to us, yes. Yeah. Very amazing. Um, we are in, let's see, maybe a couple of private schools and then a handful of charter schools, but overall, 80 schools from northern Delaware to southern Delaware. Okay. And we're, we're kicking. You are kicking. So tell me about that piece in terms of the data, right? When yeah. did you first start tracking data and how did you decide what data to track and what was that like? Were you always a data person um, where you're like, oh, it's naturally, you're like, no, she just said that. She's just mouthing the word, no, that's not me. Because um, a lot of therapists, the idea of how do you attract something that's as magical and ethereal as psychotherapy in a way that like other people can understand, like, what does that really look like? Because in some ways, therapy, it is so trackable. And then in some ways, it's so ethereal. Um, yeah. Like yeah. What, are those, what question do you ask, you know, that really? So what makes it easy for mm -hmm. us is because we are, we're, we're, we're managing and monitoring um, behaviors. Mm. So we use a couple of scales um, to administered to teachers, parents, and students. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of treatment, we use what we use a scale. Mm -hmm. Three months later, we use a scale. And then at the end of the school year, we use that scale. And so we can track if that kid is getting better. Mm. Awesome. Um, and so I'm sorry for the noise in the background. My neighbors are having construction. So sorry about that. Okay, so that's what we use. Anybody out there listening to this on the to... podcast? Is it bothering you? No? Okay, cool. We'll keep going. <laughs> Great. Great. Because there's nothing I can do about it. Um, and so we, that's how we measure our progress, if that kid is getting better. Now, for our high schoolers, we measure things like absenteeism, mm. um, discipline rates. We will, you know, we will look at a discipline record at the beginning of the school year if that's an issue for that kid. Mm -hmm. and if that kid's discipline or absenteeism gets better, that's the data that we use to provide to other schools to say, this is what we can do and this is how we do it. Um, mm -hmm. and schools typically love that data because schools are so data driven, um, that they absolutely appreciate that. Wow. I'm really sorry about all that noise. <laughs> well, and, um, so hopefully this will help. And I think this is, you know, as people, for those of you that are listening, I think this is kind of a powerful, um, a powerful thing in thought is when you're doing contracts with other organizations, understanding what's important to them and how they get paid is really important. And one of the ways yep. that schools get paid is days in school. Yep. So absolutely. Not even, so behavior is important for some specific reasons because that's class mm -hmm. management. That's again, if they're getting suspended, that's days out of school, <laughs> you yep. know, so yep. we can kind of track those things. So to understand this is something that they can use to say, we are saving money. We are making more money when, and they can see where the, the math comes out, not just absolutely, absolutely. Better, but actually this is viable. Right. You got it. And so schools really appreciate that. Um, they appreciate the fact that we take the time to provide them with the data. And then it works for us because it's a marketing tool. Right. It's so good. So do you, um, did you end up actually hire, I mean, I'm assuming at this point hiring out 
for the tracking of that data? How did you come up actually, with the process we don't. that worked? Well, actually, I do. I have a clinical director who's in charge of, actually, she was the first person that I hired, um, and now she's called the clinical director. She's the one that collects all the data. It's a very time-consuming process because that means with 32 therapists, she has to gather that data, make sure that they're doing it and that they're doing it properly. Um, she's really good at it, so she does it. Um, I think some of the hard things are when teachers don't get it or parents don't get it, but you know, then we, we just keep moving on because we get enough of a sample from each school that we can say, this is valid, um, and hear what our results are. Yeah. Cause I yeah. think that, I think that's huge in terms of your, in terms of what you're looking at in terms of your growth. I, I think if you hadn't had that data, to like that very specific data to mm-hmm. both keep the contracts going and then to market that contract to other people. I think yeah. that might've been a very different experience in terms of your growth. I absolutely agree with you um, because again, we're able to not just say, Hey, we're really good. We're able to say, this is, this is how we're good. And these are the numbers that reflect how we're good and how we get results for the children and adolescents that we work with. And again, schools really appreciate that. I think it's, it was a struggle to get my therapist at points to understand why we needed that data. Because they're like, we're therapists, why are we tracking this? But as, I, as we've grown and they can see how it all interfaces with our growth and their um, outcomes, it, it's become an easier process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that piece of, uh, when we're when we are working with other organizations, it's just so powerful to understand how they make decisions. Yeah, you know yep. how they make yep. decisions, and to honor it, and to also see the benefit of it. Yes, right. absolutely. Um, and, absolutely. You know that that piece. What has it been like over the years as you've grown to move from being a solar practitioner to being? the CEO of a large diverse practice with a diverse group of people and figuring out the, the hiring and all of that. What has that been like for you? Yeah. You know, Miranda, I've gone through um, a metamorphosis (laughs) because it has grown so big and so quickly. Um, Last year, about a year and a half ago, I put in place what we call a leadership team. So I have my clinical director of a program manager, I have a um, marketing person and I have an uh, HR person and they were all hired within. Um, so they're therapists. They, they do some clinical work, but I elevated them to other positions because I personally needed help. Um, it is, it's a lot of work to manage a practice this large. Um, I love what I do. So I bring a lot of passion to it. I'm always looking for different ways to grow and expand on what we do because we, we do school-based mental health and we're known for that and we do a really good job, but I'm not, I'm the type of business person that doesn't like to have all her eggs in one basket, so to speak. And so I'm looking for uh, diversification at this point. And so we've, we've gotten a couple of grants through the state. Um, we're, we're consultants for Head Start. So that's a little bit of a diff- diversification, but I feel like with the talent that I have, mm-hmm. there are other things that we could and should be doing. So we're at this point, we're looking at, um, we're meeting tomorrow to talk about what our path forward is for the next three months. Mm. Um, again, this has been a wonderful ride and we're going to continue to ride this school-based mental health. Cause I feel like it's really important, 
But as a business person, I also feel like, okay, now what do we need to do? We need to figure out how else we can capitalize on the expertise and skills that we have, which I think is an important lesson for business owners. I think it is too. I think also that diversification piece of, well, what would happen if something shifted in terms of they said, oh, we're going to do these contracts, but we're going to contract internally. You know, we know this works, we can do the numbers or whatever that piece is. And all of a sudden you go, oh, Absolutely. And, you know, because you have those people that you want to make sure that they're taken care of. Yep. Um, And it's already starting to happen Um, in our very small state. uh, The state recently got a few million dollars for mental health services. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to contract it out. They're not going to provide the service themselves. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I have to meet with them to see what this means for us. And mm-hmm. so while I don't think it will decimate us or will go away, but obviously it does mean that I have to constantly be thinking 10 steps ahead mm-hmm. in order to you know, make my business remain relevant and obviously earn revenue. Yes. And that's, I want to talk a little bit about that, about profit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yep. Because that, that piece of, of, of even developing an initial contract that, it's going to be financially viable for you, right? That works within the organization. And then as you expand and you realize, oh, I need a full-time clinical director to get all this data that's needed to go forward. And like you realize just how many, you know, costs there are into running the business. How have you ensured that this actually is bringing you the profit? Not just that it pays the, pays the bills and like you can, you know, pay people a salary, but also right. that there's actually like profit and not just a break-even point, you know? Yep. Great question because I recently adapted the profit first method. <laughs> so that has made a huge difference in my bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we people think wage Lisa? a little bit worried about that because I don't want to Lisa? have poor therapists. Yeah. Lisa, you're you're cutting out. It's it, the yep. go ahead and turn off your um, video and let's see if that helps. Okay. And we might because as soon as since you've been in this room in this particular room, it's been like like the audio has been okay, but the video has been choppy. Okay, um, let me turn off the video and see what that does. And I am so sorry. Are you able to hear the noise in the background? The the um the I, a little bit, but it's not it's not too distracting okay. as of yet. Okay, okay. All right, so um, is it off now? Yeah, I can hear you okay. now. I turned off your video, and I can hear you talking. Okay, again. all right, good. Let me shut this door. Sorry, hold on. <laughs> okay, all right. So, I'm ready. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so um, uh, if you just want to start with the profit-first model, Yeah. So I I recently, um, probably about a year ago, started Profit First because, um, well, one, I thought I thought it made a whole lot of sense. Um, (laughs) But secondly, what I was going to say was that I I, I pay what I think are fair wages to my therapist um, because one, I don't want to have therapists rapport. I I just don't. I wouldn't feel good about that as a business owner and a therapist. Um, So. 
I'm constantly monitoring my bottom line because, of course, I don't want to be working really hard and not be able to enjoy any of the, of the benefit. Yeah. But the thing that has helped the most is um, the profit first model. So I take profit off the top, my owner's wages off the top. I pay myself a salary. I have um, four therapists that are on salary, mm-hmm. which was a risk because that's always a risk when you put people on salary. Um, and my, the other people get paid per, it's, um, per client. So it's based on the work that they do. Mm-hmm. So I have all employees, which in some ways is a little bit more expensive than having contractors because I'm offering some limited benefits, um, paying for days off and that kind of thing. So, um, again, I think profit first and adapting that model has probably been the best, one of the best decisions that I've made because now I'm able to say, wow, we are, ma-, and, and we have made a profit. But sometimes when you're, even when you're making a profit, it, you, you think you're, you have all this money, so you're spending it. Now, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> based on profit first, I've become very conscientious about um, the expenses and really trying to maintain them. We have... We have four offices, um, and so that's expensive to maintain four offices. Um, but again, just really being m- mindful of any other purchases that we make. Yeah, and I think this is the um, this is such an important piece. And um, and I will say, uh, like, there are things that I like about the profit first model, but I think it's more. I'd, I'd like to call it a business first model that you really treat it like a business. Point. Um, and there's Good a point. lot of other options like. For those of you who go out, run out and get the book and say, oh my God, I have to get six different bank accounts and mm-hmm. all this stuff. You don't have to do that. Right. Um, you right. Can do something like you need a budget um, mm-hmm. is one of the great things you can use for your business. And yep. again, just take the money out and go, okay, this is, yep. the, this is the spot where this goes. This is the spot where that goes. And I'm taking, this is my paycheck. I pay myself and my salary in the same way that I would for any of my employees. Yep, absolutely. Um, because you're ultimately, if you're like, no, I'd always pay my employees, but then I, you know, fritter away mm-hmm. all the things and go, oh, this is just me investing back in my business. Because look, it's making more money. It's making more right. money. Well, what right. was your profit at the end of the year? Exactly. What was your profit at the end of the yep. quarter? Yep. What, like, what is a profit and loss? And the amount of therapists that don't know what a profit and loss statement is and yep. have no idea how much money you're actually taking home. And they're putting things in their head like, well, but, you know, I mean, it like pays for my office and it mm-hmm. like, does my, mm-hmm. my cell phone or yep. <laughs> like that's, yep. not, that's not a workable. Exactly correct. And, and I'm married. My husband is a businessman too. And so um, the good thing about that is he's very business minded. So every quarter we sit down and look at, he's, he's got a few businesses, but we sit down and we look at our business profit and losses. And, and that informs your decision-making. Like you can't open up your account and go, Oh, I have, you know, a gazillion dollars so I can spend it. Um, my profit and loss statement really does inform my decisions. Um, and that's, I think an important lesson for business owners is to be really mindful of your bottom line because it can quickly slip away from you. It really, really can. And a lot of times therapists have these ideas too of, Oh, if I just get this contract or I just, launch this passive income stream that will manage the issue. But if you don't have a solid business foundation, it doesn't matter how many contracts you have, how many employees you have, 
you know, how many passive income streams that you launch, you'll just replicate like a poor business model. That is exactly correct. Yeah. And I think that's probably been one of the bigger lessons from Profit First. And I, don't, I have six accounts, but they're all at the same um, bank. Yeah. So because for me, it's really impractical to do that. But I've become disciplined about allocating those funds. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and to see those accounts grow has been like, woohoo, yay, this is awesome. This is really working yeah. for me. Um, yes. But also being mindful of your profit and loss statement um, and not relying based on what you have in the, the, the bank on any given day. No, no. And again, for those of you, um, and, I, and I only mentioned the, like the, the don't go out and get the, the bank accounts thing for the, mm-hmm. the people listening. We had a whole group of boot campers who were like, oh my gosh, I read this book and it changed my yeah. life. Yeah. And then they were like so stressed and then got really confused with the yep. thing of it. Yep. Um, yep. and they're like, Oh, and I don't need to hire an accountant who knows the profit first model. And we're like, Oh gosh. Right. <laughs> so we actually, now that we've got, we basically took that and went, here's what, what we're really talking about is mm-hmm. allocation of funds and getting clarity about where your money's going. And so once we got people on the, you need a budget software, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it works so well. And again, yeah, cool. it gives you that ability to have as many little accounts and you can put yeah. in, this is my annual expense for this. This is my annual expense for that. This is my annual, you know, this is a monthly expense. And so you can very easily see sure exactly where things are at. Um, so it's really fun. Anyways, if you guys want like seriously get inspired about budgeting personally and business wise, um, every single one of my coaching clients now, that's Mm -hmm. something I'm integrating into, um, year is if you're coaching with me, you're going to get me saying, okay, you need to set up, you need a budget. You can start on personal or professional. I don't care, but you're going to yep. learn how to budget yep. and how to yep. like get clarity about money and let's get through your money issues. Absolutely. I, um, I just think budgeting makes so much sense. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of um, therapists don't think in that way. Um, they, you know, they're making good money, but um, having a budget and because I have things like benefits that I'm offering people and time off, mm-hmm. it was really important for me to have that budget because I needed to know what this was all going to cost me. Exactly. <laughs> and, and also to change our relationship around it, right? Because people yep. are like, well, I don't want to yep. budget because I don't want limitations. Right. But we, right. we teach people all the time about intentional living and to align mm. their behaviors and actions with what their values are and what they really want. Mm-hmm. And that's all that a budget really is. It's just saying, yeah. oh, this is where I want my resources to go. This is yep. where I want my time and energy to go. I want it to go towards this experience or I want it to go towards this safety net or, you know, whatever it is. So that's a, a good really time. good point, Miranda. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, people are like, wow, I did not log in to learn all about budgeting. So <laughs> what are, what are pieces? Um, oh, well, two parts. Okay. One is um, how, and we talked about like whether you felt comfortable um, talking about like money or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people. Do you feel like, having gone down this path, this was more, more or the same profitable as if you had just done a a private practice. Do you feel like Mm -hmm. this was really something that like financially was really viable once Mm -hmm. you figured it all out and got in the realm of it? Or Mm -hmm. was there a part of it of, I make about the same as I probably would in a private pay cash practice, but the impact I'm having is so much greater um, yeah, like, I'm okay yeah. that like the profit is less, but like, mm-hmm. or, or the profit is the same, mm-hmm. maybe the work looks 
like more on the surface, but like the impact I'm having is great. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like we, the, the business makes some more money because of the business model. Mm-hmm. because we have an almost zero no-show rate <laughs> because kids are in school. <laughs> and if they're not in school today, they're going to be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, alone has been the joy of this business model is that we cut out that no-show rate. Now, we still see clients in the office and we still have to deal with the no-show rate. But I feel like the success of the business is based on the fact that we go to the schools, we go to the kids, we're not reliant upon them or their parents bringing them to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dream about, you know, do I want to start a practice where we, you know, we just do traditional therapy in the office? Um, and, and again, we do a fair amount of therapy in the office, but I feel like the, the winning model, the winning success is because we go to the client. And I think that's, and, and because we're easily accessible. Mm-hmm. I love that we do what we do because it is, I think, a good service for our community. Mm-hmm. But um, from a business perspective, I just think it's such a great idea mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it just cuts out a lot of the muckety-muck that therapists in the office have to deal with. Yeah. Um, so we've done really well. We have, um, you know, our revenue is definitely up in seven figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I say that and I shake because, you know, things can change at any moment and that's yeah. just me. <laughs> well, and that's, so that's revenue at the end of the day, once all the other stuff, what does the profit look like? If you don't mind me asking. Profit is probably about 10% of that. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a fairly decent profit yeah. margin considering all, you know, all the overhead that, that I've, mm-hmm. I mean, before the, the weird thing is before, maybe it's not so weird. It all makes sense. But before I grew, like our profit margin was huge. But now that I've grown, of course, our overhead has grown maybe three times. And so our profit margin isn't as great. much because we were making so much the we weren't making as much money but the profit margin was a lot larger yeah and that's a it's such an important detail of of really looking at the numbers guys like mm -hmm. um that that huge piece um from this i think is a huge takeaway is look at the numbers and have real clarity on the business plan and on the data i mean Mm -hmm. this is like so much about clients and meeting them where they're at and doing this great work, but there's a lot in here about numbers. Yep. Crunching of the yep. data. That's Absolutely. Of private yep. practice. Yep. Yep. And it's not fun, but it is necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, my accountant literally lives across the street from me, which is awesome because I can jump over there and ask him questions. Um, and then sure my husband, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> So, um, you know, just, and again, I was never a numbers person that, you know, I I never wanted to study accounting. I know the basics now, Mm -hmm. um, because I have to, as a business owner, if I want to be, you know, solvent, I have to know them. Yes. (laughs) And I think that place too, of realizing that even if you're not a numbers person naturally, that's a skill that we can all learn. Um, and it's a skill that has real benefit for, for us personally and professionally. Yep. Um, and it's also a great skill that we can you know, hand down to our children too, or our families and to the Absolutely. people that we love. Yeah. Uh, because money is a real resource um, in our world true. in terms of like safety and security, yeah. unfortunately. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's true. 
And what is the biggest piece of advice that you have to um, a therapist out there who might be thinking about um, replicating this model and going and taking a, going and looking to pitch a contract to a school? Um, I would say that they, if, if this is something that they have a passion for, you have to have a passion for it, that they should absolutely go for it. Um, it is not, it is a practice that can grow very, very quickly. And so you have to be prepared for the growth. Um, you also have to be prepared for things like if you are a cash only practice, how would you manage something like that in the school? Mm-hmm. If you only accept commercial insurance, how will you deal with people who are referred who have Medicaid, for example? And these are all things that I took into consideration as I developed and grew this business is how will we manage this? We get kids who have insurances that we're not paneled with. But our policy is, and, and a lot of people will frown at this, but for me it makes sense, is we don't turn any kids away. Mm-hmm. So we will see kids with insurance that we do not accept. Mm-hmm. We feel like it's a service to the community, it's a service to the schools, um, and we want to see ourselves as being valuable. Mm. Uh, schools need you to show that you can be valuable in a variety of ways, and that's one of the other ways that we show that we're valuable is that if there's a kid in need and we are not paneled with their insurance company, we will not turn that child away. We will still see that kid. And I will take a a loss um, because I still have to pay my therapist, but I'll take a loss for that because I understand the importance of that. Mm. And you have it built in your business model is such that it can afford that loss while you still are getting. That's right. Right? That's, that's exactly right. If and we need still, to make sure that that, that part isn't, you know, that's all in place, right? Yep. To make that viable. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. And then I think this is really powerful too. I, for any of you who are thinking about going down this path, this is a very kind of specific path with a lot of moving parts. Um, this, is a, this is one that I would recommend that you get some consultation about and not even consultation for me um, as a business coach. Like this is powerful stuff to, to grab consultation. Um, and guys, not over coffee. Do not inundate Lisa <laughs> with a thousand emails or like Facebook messages of saying like, hey, I just had this quick question. Right. This is the real business model. Yeah. This is a yeah. real thing. And if you want to invest in doing this, like this is something where you, that's part of your startup cost is that you can do um, a consultation session and yeah. um, talk through what that model looks like. Um, and whether that would make sense for you to replicate it. Um, and then it also gives you some places if you're replicating a model, you guys, um, if you're replicating a model, then there are sometimes opportunities to utilize, Hey, this is a model that I'm replicating and this. These are the stats and these are the numbers that they're getting yep. based on this model. Yep. Um, yep. but you need to understand the model. You can't just use it out and, hope for the best. So I absolutely agree with you, Miranda, um, because I've seen other agencies practices try to do this and then it flops for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we, we've encountered some of that even in my tiny state. Um, so I, I absolutely support that if people want to do this, they really should do it the right way and seek consultation. Yeah. And it's a, um, it's a piece. Um, and I love that the advice of like, you need to really love this. Mm-hmm. Like, this needs to be really that you're passionate about kids and even your 
um, you saying like, hey, I realize I have passion for middle school and, and high school and I don't have passion for elementary school. Um, you know, yep. to know where your passion lies and to be able to, even if you have staffing, to know you don't have to be everything to everybody, um, you know, and to yep. find that, um, that niche. And then again, to keep looking towards how can I take this foundation and then reach out, you know, yes. in a more powerful way. Yep. Thank you Absolutely. so much for coming and talking today, Lisa. Like my absolute pleasure. This is amazing. You can check her out, the Center for um, Child Development.com. You can go and do the little contact. Yep. Again, I will say, because we've had people from the podcast who are so lovely who want to pick people's brains, please don't do that. Um, contact her for consultation if you have specific questions, because this is such a specialized um, business model. Um, and I definitely see a lot of ways that. Um, <laughs> that you could have messed it up or someone else could mess it up, girl. Um, right. and you did it and you've got it. So um, talk to Lisa. Thank you, Thank you very <laughs> you much, Miranda. You want to replicate that, guys. <laughs> um, and uh, hope to see you guys. Um, if you haven't, um, subscribe to our podcast so that you get a little ding every time a message comes through. Feel free to do that. And we love your ratings. Uh, and of course, you can get free trainings from us at zinnime.com forward slash free on all things private practice, including how to set your fees, but not for this, not for school-based. That's a whole <laughs> ball game. Um, and right. how to develop your niche. Thank you guys all for listening. See you next time. Thank you. <laughs>